0: This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight.
1: Hi, this is Doug K from the All About the Gear podcast here on the TWIP Network. I just want to let you know that I still have a few openings for my workshop in Cuba in early November. For more information, head on over to dougkcom workshops. Thanks. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 33. My interview today is with my buddy Charles Glatzer, and Chaz is a workshop leader and a fantastic nature photographer. His company is called Shoot the Light, and, uh, and his workshops are all over the world chasing down some of the most beautiful animals that you can imagine. So uh, I had a good time sitting down with Chaz, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot about uh, traveling and nature photography this week. I had a pretty quiet week. I don't really have a lot of good travel stories except traveling between my house and my office. I'm uh, kind of buckled down for the month of June working on my next book. So uh, I don't really have a lot of insight, and you'll just be treated to uh, Charles Glatzer. So here he is. Well, Welcome, Charles, and thanks for being on the show, man, finally. Yeah, yeah, Rob, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Yeah, we've had a, we've kind of a comedy of errors. The first time we tried to get on, my microphone broke. And then the second time Charles was on um, crappy hotel internet, and it sounded like his radio was on the wrong channel. So finally, got everybody at a at a proper computer with good Wi-Fi, and we're we're cooking. So that's great. Yeah,
0: look forward to it. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I appreciate you coming on, man. Now your your work has been focused on wildlife photography for quite a while. I, I, were you always a wildlife shooter?
0: No, uh, it's been a long career. I guess uh, 35 years now. Started in uh, 1983. And uh, everywhere from uh, starting with society parties in the Gold Coast in New York to uh, geez, uh, annual reports, you know, Fortune 500 stuff, doing portraits, um, owning in a color lab, traveling around the world for in-flight magazine, uh, geez, doing product photography. And then in the 90s, I did underwater around the world, started teaching on the aboard dive boats and said, you know, this teaching thing is, uh, is a lot of fun and uh, can be profitable and uh, let's go that route. So we opened up uh, shoot the light specialized in terrestrial wildlife photography for the most part mm-hmm. back in the uh, early 2000.
1: Very cool. So was, was full-time nature photography always your goal when you were doing all these other, uh, subjects?
0: I, I don't know if it was in my thought process per se, but I grew up, um, you know, hunting, fishing, uh, camping with my family and always had a, a love and affinity for it. And it just seemed, uh, like a natural way to, uh, you know, for me to gravitate.
1: No, that's cool, man. Um, do you, do you shoot any other subjects for your personal work? I know we were talking about your fishing. Is that your, your personal work?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, There are guys actually who who make their livelihood, you know, photographing fly fishing, uh, you know, for, uh, advertising and for editorial purposes all around the world. And I don't know, you know, maybe we'll see what the next career holds, but for right now, yeah, it's predominantly the wildlife. Um, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, it's like we do so much of it that now when I come home, uh, camera kind of goes on the shelf and I'm spending more time with my, my family and, uh, my new little granddaughter.
1: Yeah. Great. That's, that's fun. I I know how that is. (laughs) I don't, I don't spend a lot of time shooting when I can hang out with my kids when I'm home. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, um, so tell me again, when, what, when did you decide to do the, uh, the workshops? Uh, let's see. Well, so back in early nineties, when I was doing the underwater
0: photography, Mm -hmm. you know, would go on these aboard dive boats, the Aggressor Fleet and Peter Hughes, and I said, wow, you know, maybe we can fill these boats and uh, teach people, you know, rather than me just photographing myself, sure. and that was a method for me to, you know, fill the boat and go on the trips that we wanted to go on, right. and that's the basic premise, and then I actually taught as a, uh, an associate professor at Southampton College uh, University on Long Island for underwater photography, hmm. and that really got me started with the, uh, the teaching aspect, and actually now I enjoy the teaching part, I think, even more than I do taking the photographs.
1: Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, it's funny how it can be just as gratifying to help somebody make a great photo as it is to make a great photo yourself.
0: Yeah, I think for, for me, actually, even more so. You know, I, I I know I could take a good picture. You know, not blowing smoke, but I, but I you know I can, and and I think that the light bulb really doesn't go off for me anymore. It's it's like, okay, here's a nice picture. Let's move on to something else. But to see people who are struggling or people who want to aspire to take good photographs and have the light bulb go off. Mm. Now you thought them something they can utilize for the rest of their, uh, their lives. And then they teach other people. That's, you know, for me, they're really rewarding. Part.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. What, um, so you were doing that in the nineties before long before everybody was teaching workshops. Um, how has that, how has that market changed? Like how has the, the marketing change? How did you get, where did you find your students when you started doing workshops?
0: Okay, so um, a partner and I decided in, in, again, early, I guess, early 2000, maybe late, you know, 1990s. Damn, I'm dating myself, aren't I? <laughs>
1: um,
0: to open the first online nature magazine. Mm-hmm. So the only thing out there at that time was uh, um, photo.net, you know, and they were kind of, you know, bannering back and forth. And so we opened up a nature photography magazine. Um, we had a little bit of a falling out, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And the offshoot of that was NatureScape. So there's a lot of guys on nature Escapes who were originally moderators on the website that, um, that my partner and I started. So all of them basically now are direct templates of what we started back then. And when I told my wife, Hey, we're going to start this nature magazine, you know, I'm going to be the senior tech guy on there and uh, take everything I know and put it out in public forums. And, um, Show people. We could walk to walk and talk to talk and try and build up the the workshop business from that. And at that particular time, the web took off. So now we have this huge dissemination of information all across the web, and uh, it was a perfect opportunity for me to get into uh, you know the teaching aspect of all of this.
1: Right. So you were basically on the ground floor when when that started when when that started to be a big deal for people to find out information in the first place.
0: Yeah, and if you looked at the the disparity of uh, images. You know, back when we first started this, between, like, pros and, you know, amateurs, it was huge. Right. I mean, you could definitely see, you know, what what the differences were. And now, all that information is across the web, and we came into the digital era. So, uh, you know, people can learn from everybody across uh, this medium. There's no more secret places. You know, every location in the world is on the web, you know, down to where there's longitude and latitude, uh, you know, waypoints on this stuff. Sure. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, the playing field, you know, has become way more level. And if you look on 500px and you look on 1x, 1X and all these other websites, uh, there are people on there whose pictures are as good, if not better, than any working pro on any given day. They just choose not to do it as a livelihood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they have the time and, and, uh, and, the resources. and energy and the resources to, to get around. Like you said, the world's getting smaller all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, to, to answer your question a little bit further, if you look at how many people have digital cameras now and the instant feedback that they can get, you know, uh, as opposed to where we had to shoot film and, you know, you hope you got it in the can when the rolls developed, you know, now it's, uh, it's instant access. You know, it's real time. You look on the back, it's too light, make it dark, too dark, make it light. You know, I wish I had that back when I was shooting underwater.
1: Sure. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, especially for underwater photography. I, I haven't, Still haven't gone down that road because I know that's all I'm going to want to do when I start doing it. So it was definitely one of the coolest
0: things I've ever done in my life. I'm sure. I mean, I absolutely loved it. You know, it's uh, sensory overload. Your head goes underwater; all your worldly thoughts go out of your head, and you're just concentrated on, uh, on what's going on. And it's, uh, you know, you might as well be on the other side of the moon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And now I've got these little tools that are that are small and easy to carry, and and shoot 4K video. And I, I'm just like, oh man, this would be great underwater. And I go, no, and I'm <laughs> not going to do it. Yeah, it's, leave it, it alone. was
0: cost prohibitive back then. You know, and like you were mentioning, we were carrying. You know, big Aquatica housings and I had Nikon, uh, you know, in there and stuff like that. And those things were like cinder blocks with big strobe arms and everything. And don't forget, you only had 36 pictures on a roll. And every time you open up the camera, you're losing the, you know, the integrity of the water seal. So you're worried about that. And then you never wanted to jump in the water if you had 24 pictures. What if you came across something? So you're always (laughs) pulling these rolls out of the camera, you know, that were like three quarters of the way done. And that with
1: digital, geez, you can go in there with a 128 gig card and, uh, you know, shoot for the whole week. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. Well, you're doing some new stuff with uh, with your workshops that I don't hear about a lot of people doing. Tell me about your tech series. The tech series is um,
0: our kind of like comprehensive educational program. So we have one full day of metering techniques, another full day of flash techniques, um, one on visual skills and visual dynamics, and the other one is on uh, Post-production. How do you make the most of you know what we shot the uh, the last three days? They're extremely well attended. Um, as far as everybody who's been there, they're like this is the most educational venue you know we've ever been to. And uh, we typically do them in Florida. We do one in North Carolina. We're actually looking to take that on uh, cross-country tour and do like maybe ten of them you know throughout the United States. And cool. I've had some people ask me overseas, but uh, yeah, they're they're very well attended. The one we just did in Florida. Um, you know when I saw you down at the Bird Festival. We actually uh, had uh, you know, two dozen people show up, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great venue.
1: Oh, that's great. So that goes way beyond just your sort of uh, photo tour that, that some people are leading. And not to put any, any sort of poo-poo on that. I mean, those are great. But this is definitely something where somebody's going to show up and really learn more about how to make pictures, right? Yeah, it'll take years off your learning
0: curve. I mean, absolutely years. You know, it's really funny because just the metering part, you know, you get to realize how many people are struggling with it. Mm. And it doesn't have to be as difficult as everybody makes it. And, you know, they all walk out of there the second day and they're getting, uh, you know, way more consistency in their exposures. And therefore, they can concentrate on, you know, decisive moments and creative, you know, uh, stuff like that rather than having to sit there and change the dang compensation every five seconds, you know, when they move and change tonal values in the meter pattern.
1: Right, right. Well, let's talk about that, man. A lot of people shoot wildlife and and like we've talked about, everybody's posting these amazing pictures online. Everybody can get whatever equipment for, you know, half the price that it used to be. So, the the cost of being a nature photographer is has never been lower. But your work has a, an artistic sensibility that is not in everybody's pictures, man. I see some of your wildlife shots and I'm just like, "Geez, man, that I mean, it is it is really more like fine art than it's like nature photography." Um how do you think you learned how to shoot like that? Did you study to do that specifically or did you just develop that style?
0: Uh, that's a very good question, you know, and that's the first time anybody's asked me that. Um, I ended up when I was doing the, the weddings and portraits and things, there were guys like PPA, which is Professional Photographers Association, mm-hmm. said, you know, you should really do that and go for your master's degree. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, I don't know. And, and I decided to do it. Um, so it's, it's speaking merits, you know, get you out in front of the public. So you feel at ease. It's, um, you know, tests for, uh, you know, commercial stuff and lighting, and then you have to submit prints and the fastest you can get it is three years. And I did it and I never entered uh, anything except the images that I enjoyed to shoot, which weren't, you know, what I was currently doing with the weddings and the portraits. So I got that and that seriously helped, um, a big boost to my career was my friend uh, Don Landwell at the time, who went to work uh, with Pete Turner, who at the time was one of the top commercial guys in the world. And then I started assisting Don, and I think that seriously helped me with getting a sense of uh, graphics and color, Yeah, you know, for my wildlife. And it's funny because people recognize that you have a style way before you ever do. Sure. You know, just like you said, you, know, you put a picture up. Yeah, I know that's Chad's picture. Well, I don't even recognize it. So. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it is debilitating sometimes because I will see the way that other people shoot and wish I could do that because I love the photograph, but mm. it's not in me. You know, I'm too, I guess, technical oriented and anal about what's in the viewfinder. Yeah. Um, maybe that came from the commercial world where you're only as good as the last picture and how to scrutinize everything. Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, thanks. And I appreciate those comments from you. I know you see a lot of pictures.
1: I do, man. And, and I see a lot of nature photography and, and like I said, I mean, i it seems like most people are happy to have a well-exposed sharp picture of whatever it is, but, but it makes sense that you say that, like you, you're very you know critical of your own work and you gotta, you have to have everything just right. But man, it really pays off because um, I can definitely see that sort of commercial sensibility to it mm. because the, the composition is just tight and, and the colors are great. And, and you get the moments that happen with, you know, whether it's birds interacting or whatever, that's still there, but it just has that other layer, man. I really think is, uh, it sets your work apart.
0: Thanks. Uh, part of that comes from like in-field workflow, you know, and I guess it's alluding to some of the other questions that, you know, you're gonna ask, but uh, a lot of it has to do with being proactive in the field and understanding the behavioral aspects and, you know, having the camera set ahead of time you know, for where you want the subject to be at the time you want to take the picture. Not necessarily where it is. If it's in the shade, it's going to go in the sun. I already have the camera set for the sun exposure. You know, so bang, I can concentrate on the decisive moments and, you know, procuring the backgrounds that I want and picking windows of opportunity rather than being reactive and just, you know, firing off shots.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny because we talk about that a lot with street photographers. You know, you find your scene... And, and then wait for the, the action to happen within that. You, you sort of create the stage with your camera and then wait for that to happen. So you do the same thing with your wildlife photography.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure.
1: Very cool. And so, and we'll, we'll get into that. So you visit the same places year after year and you take clients there and, and uh, you know, whether it's Alaska or, or whatever, um, what are some of the benefits of shooting those same subjects over and over again? I guess just get a little further into that.
0: Yeah, it's a huge advantage. So We have a like a loon workshop that we're doing in uh, Michigan uh, next month. And I've been there, I think, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years now. And the advantage is that I know yeah it's really funny. You know, the loon will dive down and grab something to eat. And basically, I can tell you what he's coming up with, you know, just by the way it's acting underwater, whether it's a fish or a crayfish or a mud puppy, you know, which is a big kind of salamander thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it all helps. You know, if they sit there and they squeeze their feathers and, and exhale and they just go straight down, that's stealth mode. And they're going to take off and probably look for duck chicks and things like that. So you don't even look for loon. You, know, you just start to scour the lake. And it's learning about the behavioral aspects. Uh, we go to the falcons. I've been there, geez, I don't know, 10, to however many years now, 13 strips. I know which species on what island is going to be best, you know, depending upon the weather and the light. You know, and although you might have four species of penguins on each island, concentrate on the rock hoppers on this island because it's the most dynamic. And then we get to the next island, let's concentrate on the shags on this island. And it pays big dividends to, to the participants because we know that. You know, right. so you can look for, you know, those things that are going to make images far and above just the, the commonplace kind of, okay, here's another penguin sitting on a rock.
1: Yeah, yeah, What a what a huge benefit for your clients. I mean, that's the reason that people go on... On your workshops, because you can show them. I mean, number one, they see your work and then you can put them in the same spot and say, this is how to do it.
0: it, It's really funny, though. It's kind of a double edged sword because we'll be photographing the loons and I'll say, wow, look at that. That's a really good headshot. Take that. And they're like, well, how come you're not shooting it? You know so I said I said well because I have 10 years worth of those pictures and if that's not better than what I already have you know then I don't really need to pull the trigger right. so they're like well how come it's not good enough for you but it's good enough for us <laughs> <I?" laughs> so, so I'm like well because you don't have you know 10 years worth of those pictures
1: right let me show tell- you my 10 favorite pictures that are just like that already. Yeah,
0: I was telling my wife, you know, maybe I should just put a blank card in the camera and just shoot so they think it's... You know? Right. <laughs> just put the hammer down and just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to shoot this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, is there any... Are there animals that you get particularly excited about shooting that you've shot a, a lot or are there yeah. some that are just sort of boring now?
0: Um, I wouldn't say boring. You know, every time I go back, it's somewhat different, and bears are my favorite subject of all. Yeah. Um, we've done, I think, 60 bear trips now, so pretty well-versed with bears, and uh, we do black bears. That's actually where I'm leaving for Sunday. We have two black bears that we do back-to-back for cubs, Cool. and then I have uh, spirit bears, and we have brown bears and, uh, and polar bears. So, yeah, I mean, we've been to Churchill probably, you know, 13 years, and uh, looking to do that every— um, October and November, you know, we do the, the polar bear trips and actually we do them on the ground, which is kind of really crazy. But, you know, each bear is different in physiology. The psychology is completely different. I think, um, uh, you know, we kind of equate them to human personalities a little bit, but it's awesome. And there is that little bit of fear factor in it. It kind of elevates it.
1: Sure. Sure. Is there, So what animals do you just never even make pictures of anymore? I, I don't want to bum out any of your your clients but i
0: don't know <laughs> just curious. That's, that's, i don't know let's see what i don't want to shoot pictures of i don't know tiny little field
1: mice <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> okay i'll let you i'll let you take that easy one <laughs> that's, that's cool
0: yeah i don't know i mean if you know but uh, hey there were turkeys across the street the other day you know and they were out there strutting their stuff and i grabbed the camera and ran out there sure well i don't know you know if it's you can make a rock look really good if the light is really cool.
1: Right, right. And, that, and that's kind of how I'm relegated to when I take people to places that I've been before, like Costa Rica. Unless, unless it's just amazing light, I, I don't really even shoot that much. I just have a great time and enjoy and help people make better pictures. But then every now and then you'll see, I'll see an animal that I've never seen there and I go, oh man, and I'll shoot, shoot the snot out of it. But Yeah, yeah, um, and
0: it fires you up. you know. And I, I think, let's see, if you go to the same place enough, you start to get a really definitive eye. Yeah. You, know, you start to look for those things that you haven't had before. Like when I go to the Falklands. So this year I'm going to take a really extremely wide lens, like the 11 to 24, and then I'm going to take a 600. And I never do that. You know, I always take like around uh, 24 to 70 and a, and a 2 to 400. Yeah. But, but I got a lot of that. So I want to concentrate on things that I didn't have the years before. So I look through my portfolio and I kind of build a storyboard. You know, and say, okay, what am I lacking in, in the portfolio for the last 10 or what, how many years that, you know, I can really kind of fill in the gaps with? And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to bring the CamRanger, you know, we'll set up some different stuff and everything. Nice. Um, and you, you probably get this as well, but you'll hear people, well, you know, uh, the guy I went with never shoots on the workshop. Well, as long as I'm making the, the priority, you know, yeah. the participant, sure. then we never, ever have a problem. Right. You know, and quite frankly, if I see something really cool, we always put them in the best spot. It's not about me. You know, I mean, sure, I'd like to get a good picture, but that one picture is not going to make or break my career. Sure. You know, you think I I need another egret photograph when I go to Florida?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've heard more people complain about workshop leaders that shot the whole time than I have workshop leaders that didn't shoot at all, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll shoot for illustrative purposes. You know, I'll set the camera up, say, come over here, check the composition. Right,
1: right. We'll look at the
0: camera. Here's why we exposed this way. You know, I often thought about setting up the Cam ranger with a uh, an iPad on my tripod so they can see the thing big screen, you know, and have, you know, we only take like, you know, eight people max on most of these trips, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if it's six, at least they can look over my shoulder, they can see what we're doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not it's not about me getting the really good pictures. It's It's about, you know, seeing them and uh, you know, the deal. I mean, yeah. quite frankly, if, if we sell the picture for the magazine, you know, for 150 bucks and we get a client that we can establish and with a relationship and they come back year after year, you know, I mean, from a business standpoint, that's a far better investment.
1: Absolutely. And that's a great tip. When you, when you're going somewhere that you visited before, you know, don't take the same glass over and over again, you've already got those, those angles covered. So take the wide angle lens. If you usually take the longer lens and that kind of thing, that's a great tip.
0: Yeah. Mix it up.
1: Yeah. Well, people, people tell me that I travel a lot, but man, every time I look on Facebook or your website, you're seem like you're on a different continent. So, (laughs) and and you go to a lot of places that would be considered harsh environments. Is that something that's that you decided to make your MO or is that just where you have to go to shoot what you want to shoot?
0: No, there's plenty of stuff in the United States. Um, I, you know, it's really funny. Everybody says to me, by the way, do you go anyplace warm? <laughs> I said, no, Rob's going to Costa Rica. Knock yourself out. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I like the colder environments. I like the harsh environments because I think I get to show people images that, um, A, they don't want to go to themselves, you know, yeah. and B, that it's really difficult and you're showing these animals that, you know, at their their most severe, um, that struggle for life. You know, whether it's Yellowstone in the winter, which could be 40 uh, below, You know, to go into the Arctic and having 50 mile an hour winds in, uh, you know, photographing polar bears. I I think that struggle for survival is something that um, I really deeply care about. And the Arctic keeps drawing me back more and more and more. Um, You know, and Canada, they say it's no bad weathering, only bad clothing. And (laughs) and Yeah, to a point. But but a lot of that's true. You know, I mean, you can go there. Heck, you know, if you get the right clothes, uh, you know, run around minus 30 in a T-shirt. As long as there's no exposed skin, you're going to be pretty warm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I bought those gloves that you uh you started to import. Man, they're great.
0: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah those, those gloves have taken off really well. They are, I think, the the best cold weather gloves on the market right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, they uh they do really well. Yeah, i uh, Heat Three Smart Gloves, and uh, we have a bunch of uh, Photoshop's uh, stores and things like that that are selling them now uh, across the country. Or you can buy them direct from uh, Shoot the Light.
1: Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I got mine from Hunts at um, yeah. Bosque. Yep. I, I thought my gloves were fine until I got to Bosque <laughs> in yeah. November. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and yeah. buy these other gloves.
0: Yeah, I've been there, it's been like zero. People don't realize how cold it can get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a balmy twenty one when <laughs> I was out in the morning. So people were like, Oh man, I've had my nose freeze and fall off here before. I'm like, okay, well I'm I feel lucky that it was only it was, you know, as warm as twenty one degrees.
0: I'll get you out in minus thirty, you wimp.
1: Yeah, totally. No thanks. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, man. I'll 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 wear shorts and uh <laughs> Head to Costa Rica. I'm good with that.
0: Yeah, see, I just, uh, that heat, humidity, all that stuff, I, I just, I don't know, it's not my thing.
1: Yeah. It takes me about 24 hours to get used to it. Yeah. Just walk a little slower, drink plenty of water, and then once I get used to it, I'm I'm, I'm good, but.
0: Well, I know you talk about me. Um, how do you deal with the, the high humidity and the temperature with your cameras?
1: You know what? I, I tend to only use cameras that are weather sealed. Ah, there you go. Uh, so I don't really worry about it, but I've had cameras that, that aren't weather sealed, and they're not really an issue. Now, I did have uh, my, my good friend and my guide, uh, Enrique, that lives in Costa Rica, he gave me his daughter's, um, po- or not point and shoot camera, but her DSLR, and okay. I took it to Tim at Peachtree Camera to have it fixed, um, and basically, the, the spring had broken on the flash, so the flash wouldn't pop up, and it was basically rusted in there, so he, Tim Ooh. cleaned it up got it fixed, and one of, the, one of her lenses wouldn't work, so Tim looked at it, and he said, it's water damaged. It's not It's huh. just broke. So just that's from humidity. Uh, probably. I mean, who knows? You know, it's, it was a, a teenage girl's camera <laughs> who lives right. basically right. in the rainforest. So who knows yeah. what, what happened to it? But I mean, it's definitely hard on stuff, but this was a, basically a rebel, you know, mm-hmm. an entry level camera. That's not meant to be uh, probably used as much and as long as she used it. And well, I uh, see
0: even, even the pro bodies, you know, people take them out in downpours. Oh no. You know, Nikon or Canon says that they're impervious to water. I said, yeah, until they're not. Right. You know, until you're stuck halfway across the middle of nowhere and your camera's not working. How's that work? You know? Absolutely. I mean, just do due diligence. You know, I always have rain covers on there. I mean, if it's snowing out and it's really cold, you know, snow just blows off. That's not a problem. Yeah. But if you're going around those cusp temperatures, you know, where it's just above freezing and it's wet and all that stuff, then cover them up. I mean, it's just not worth it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, my my buddy Rick Garrity actually got his GH4 Lumix so muddy that he rinsed it off with a hose and <laughs> yeah. it was, and it's fine. He still uses it. It's, yeah. They take so. that
0: like ass two in the shower on one of their commercials and they, they you know, <laughs> shower it off. I'm not going to be doing that with my, uh, you know, my Canon gear. Although, I mean, I've had them out in downpours and they work fine. Sure. You know, it's just, I know that, you know, God forbid something does happen. I'm halfway to nowhere. I, I just don't need the headache.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that backup for sure.
0: Yep. Very yeah. Cool. So, you know, in the cold weather, you know, we, we always take um, stuff sacks and, you know, put the cameras in there after we take the batteries and the flashcards out, roll them all up, you know, so they acclimatize the ambient temperatures before they open them up. So you're always trying to educate people about, you know, proper cam- camera maintenance in you know, cold and humidity conditions and things like that.
1: Sure. Yeah, that, that goes a long way, keeping the batteries in your pocket so they stay charged and yeah. keep them warm.
0: Yeah, and the lithium batteries are amazing now. I mean, you we go out in those minus 30 temps, the batteries don't die. Yeah. You know the old NICADs, Forget about. It. You're out there for five minutes, and you were you were pulling them out of your pocket, trying to trying to heat them up. Or we used to take uh, the chemical hand warmers. Yeah. You know, and like duct tape them to the bottom of the cameras, and put polar fleece covers on the cameras, and you know, thank goodness those days are over. <laughs>
1: put a, putting a jacket on your camera. That's pretty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't want to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. Uh, well, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm going to wrap it up and with my usual five questions. Um, so, what is your current photo gear setup, and has that changed at all in the last year?
0: Um, okay, I shoot all canned equipment. Um, I think the new lenses and the bodies are uh, exactly what I need. Uh, I have everything from uh, 600, you know, Series 2s all the way down to the new 11 to 24. So, pretty much got it all covered. Uh, shooting mostly with 1DX bodies, but I do have a 7D2 and a 5D3 if I need it. Um, you know, all the flashes, bells and whistles. I mean, I got, I got an arsenal
1: uh probably cps could borrow stuff from me right right well how do you so how do you get on a plane with that stuff how do you travel with all that kit <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um i use uh, f-stop camera bags they have what's called an icu it's an internal camera unit um put the the gear in there and i have a roller bag or a backpack uh so that's usually my big gear and then i have a laptop bag i use a uh think tank over in the sky 60 right now that we put the rest of the stuff in. So those two camera bags, I could take everything that I need to every remote location in the planet.
1: Gotcha. So you're not taking like five camera bodies and 17 lenses. Every time you go, you, you more pair it down for the, whatever specific trip you're going on, right?
0: Yeah. You know what the best lens is? It's the one I got with me. Yeah. Oh, so, um, I'm either taking a. It all depends where you go, but let's say I take a 600, you know, and even if I take a 600 and a 2 to 400, which are pretty significant lenses, um, I could put those and one 1DX one in the bag, and then uh, that'll go in the overhead, and then the laptop bag. I can have another body, a 72 and a 24 to 70, and that's basically it. Yeah. You know, so we have two two bodies for most of it. If I need to take a third, I can squeeze it in somewhere. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't take everything that I own on every trip.
1: Right. So you don't have. You know, a, a herd of Sherpas and and big pelican cases that you take everywhere with you, like, you know, like you're going on safari every time. No,
0: it's different. Yeah. I mean, if I got hired by NG to go out on assignment,
1: you yeah. know, oh, and yeah.
0: you know everything that I needed, yeah, then then I would do that. But no, I I mean, it, it's not really necessary for me.
1: Sure, cool. Well, what do you do when you're on the road to make your hotel room feel like a home away from home? <laughs> I kind of I kind of know the answer to this. It's going to be funny.
0: Yeah, I I don't really know. Um it uh it's a strange question. Uh of course, you know, I mean I have pictures of my kids and my wife and you know and that all the time, but I don't really do too much, you know, and it's really funny now when I come home I always have to have a little light on in the bedroom and my wife's like, What's up with that? you know, and it all starts because, you know, you mentioned how much traveling I'm doing. I'm on the road like, you know, it used to be eight months a year, you know, spending God knows how much time in hotels. And in the middle of the night, if I wake up, because of all the different hotels, I don't even know where I am. I don't don't know which way the door is, which way the bathroom is. Do I get out of bed on the left or right side? So, you know, that light gives me some sense of security. Uh, I woke up in Winnipeg, and for the life of me, what seemed like, you know, 10 minutes, which was probably like two minutes or less, I had no idea where in the world I even was, which was kind of scary. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was in the Falklands this year for... Let's see, four weeks on location, plus a week traveling back and forth, so five weeks gone. You know, I came home, and I didn't even know where I fit in, you know, and uh, that wasn't a good feeling either.
1: Yeah, I'm sure not. I had a, I had a strangest, I think my first symptom of that, um, actually leaving Jacksonville from the bird fest. We were taken off, and I'd kind of dozed off, but then the plane t- took off, and I looked out, and I saw some, some farmland, and, and I thought, where the heck am I flying out of? I could I really couldn't remember where I had been. That that like it wasn't like I was asleep and I woke up into that. It was like I was just looking out the window and was like, "Wait a minute. Where was I? Wasn't I in Florida? Do they have farms in Florida?" It was it was totally uh disorienting, so. So so you
0: thought, you'll probably edit this. But you thought I have somebody next to me with the same name as my wife so I feel comfortable when I'm on No, it?
1: I was I was laughing about that. I've heard the I've heard your story about it, keeping the light on. I thought that oh, was yeah. thought that was pretty
0: yeah. funny. <laughs> The other one wouldn't go over well.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's it. We want, we'll totally cut that out. To, totally not cutting that out.:
0: <laughs> Not cutting that out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place that you visited lately?
0: Oh, it, My top favorites right now are either um, Hudson Bay for Polar Bears, uh, which was in November. The, the Falklands is a, a sensory overload. There's just so much to shoot, you physically have to sit down and just look for a while and figure out what it is that you want to photograph. There's, there's so much going on. And then uh, Yellowstone is a big favorite every year. I think it's the closest you're ever going to come to Africa in the United States for the struggle um, you know, with wildlife and the survival.
1: Sure, sure. Well, what's next for you? Where are you looking forward to uh, visiting and shooting next?
0: Uh, next meaning new or next meaning what's on the agenda?
1: Either way. Whatever you want to talk about. Okay, next. Uh, let's
0: see. Monday next Sunday. Um, I leave for Minnesota, and we do two uh, back-to-back um, black bear cub trips. Uh, on the agenda, I think what I'd like to do is uh, kind of Baffin Island. Kind of go up there. Maybe do Greenland, um, but you know, more for the wildlife, uh, although the scenery is to die for. And then uh, Madagascar.
1: Cool. Well, Someplace okay. warm, by the way. Hey, nice. Something new.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, Chaz, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Where can people find out more about you online? I have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um,
1: (laughs) Maybe you have a website. I don't know.
0: Yeah, we do have a website. Yeah, of course. It's um, shootthelight.com. So they can check me there. They can check Charles Glatzer on uh, on Facebook or 500px, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, We can run, but we can't hide.
1: (laughs) Great. No doubt. And why would we want to? Yeah, Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot. I'm glad we finally got this in the can, and uh, and I'll talk to you soon, man.
0: Thank you, Rob. I, I appreciate it very much. I, thanks for the opportunity.
1: You bet. If you like what you hear on Your Itinerary, please tell all your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some feedback. And uh, be sure and connect with us on Twitter, at Your Itinerary. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other Twip shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.